Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called Underestimated, and it is covering shows that either had mild success when they first premiered on Broadway or no success at all, but have since gone on to have a long and healthy life. I'm your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today, you know her, you love her, uh, quite possibly from her other podcasts, such as Broad Wasted or Broadway Baby. But let's be honest, you know her and love her from when she was last on this podcast over a year ago. So please, I, it's been over a year. Please welcome back to the podcast, Kimberly Cooper Schmidt. Oh, I'm like thinking about like my setup right here. And yes, it has changed. Yeah, so no, you look like long. Yeah, you look like you're in a place that people live now. Oh, I must have just moved then before. <laughs> yeah. I believe you had, yeah, I believe you had just moved in. There were boxes everywhere and like some things were out in the open, but like I don't even think anything was hung yet. It was that it was that situation when you move in where you're like you hang it against the wall where you know it's gonna go. Eventually a nail will go somewhere on this wall. 100 percent Nail stuff. I'm fully in my husband's weird nerdy office so you can see an oh. axe on the wall <laughs> oh that's what that is i'm sorry i was taken aback by the multitude of hats yes those are not mine <laughs> but great those are. yes in case anyone forgot from the last time she was on because kimberly wanted to remind all of us kimberly is married everybody oh, i will accidentally yeah. call, talk about him a lot but <laughs> well <clears throat> we do have a good show to talk about your significant other um oh, truly and probably well, thank anyone you for would... the Diana reference in your <laughs> intro. I mean, I don't, it's not, a... <clears throat> sorry, hon. let me grab my coffee for a minute. That's the other thing, everybody. Um, I'm razzing Kimberly because Kimberly truly has been so wonderful for a agreeing to come back and talk to this asshole Two, agreeing to talk about a show. She didn't know a ton about agreeing to an early recording time than an even earlier recording time. And then we start the motherfucker. And I'm like, I need to grab my coffee. I run back to the kitchen to the Keurig and I'm doing my best uh, Parker Posey and You've Got Mail where I'm shouting at the Keurig, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Uh, For anyone who hasn't seen You've Got Mail, that's literally, I think her name is Patricia. Patricia's entrance is she's shouting at the espresso maker to hurry up. And then Tom Hanks later says that she makes coffee nervous and that is me today. So I'm doing all this razzing on Kimberly uh, because she's been so wonderful until this moment. And that's how I express my love for people. Um, But yes, it's not a, Spoiler at this point, but Diana will 100% be the last episode of this series. As well, it should. It has the title track from the series. It absolutely do. It's still not quite certain if it has a long and healthy life after its uh, short Broadway closing, but I believe it will because I am holding that torch. Uh, It had a long and healthy life before it closed somehow. 
Like all of a sudden the, the tone changed and we all went, no, we love this. But we're not talking about motherfucking Diana, Kimberly Cooper. No. What are we talking about today? Mac and Mabel. Mm, mm, mm. Now, Kimberly. Yeah. Mm. It's just a, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There might be a little delay in our Zoom, I feel like. It's fine. I just have to, I just have to be very aware of it with my timing is all. So I have to, I have to prepare for the uh, two second delay. It's like the, in Scream where Kenny has the delay and then he gets his throat cut. Anyway, Kimberly, what is your history? If there is any with Mac and Mabel. Um, My history with Mac and Mabel is we're going to talk about me being married again. The summer (laughs) I met my husband at surf light theater the last show of the season was Mac and Mabel. And I didn't stay for the last show of the season. (laughs) I was an arts admin intern the summer before my senior year of college. So I had to leave. So I heard some of the rehearsals. There was like casting changes about. um, And then I just never looked into the show further until now. (laughs) Honestly, that kind of mirrors the history of the show itself. Some casting things going on, people not paying attention to it. And now here we are. Now here we are talking about it now. Talking about it now. Uh, everyone take a shot because it's going to get mentioned here. I really first heard about this show from Stage Door Manor Performing Arts Center. Yes, yes, yes. Did they um, do this show? They did. They actually did it the summer I was leaving. They did it once I had left. But I knew the so show. You before. and I both left before Mac and Mabel in exactly. our summer careers. I think that is the best way to describe uh Mac and Mabel. I left before there was ever a Mac and Mabel. Um, just from being at theater camp with a bunch of dorks and learning more about Broadway and the history and things, I, I'm hearing a lot of girls sing Wherever He Ain't and Time Heals Everything. I was like, oh, those are two fun songs. What's this from? And then my friend Lucas, shout out Luke, Lucas McMahon, big time Broadway producer. He sort of taught me about Mac and Mabel. And then from there, I bought a bunch of books, Second Act Trouble, Not Since Carrie, which are all about the flops, which fun fact love, I love, used love. for research for this episode. And yeah, just learned a lot more about it since then. And then I finally saw the dang thing at Encores with Alexandra Sosha and Douglas Sills. Um, and I sat there and I went, oh, I see why this show doesn't work. And then that was sort of, I put it to rest and then I picked it back up again for this thing. <laughs> Here we are. I will say I have I do know all of the songs, the girl songs. Sure. Because I heard everyone sing Wherever He Ain't. I heard Time Heals Everything. And then one of my friends in college, her like sh- uh showcase song was Look What Happened to Mabel. That's a good showcase song because it has a yeah. nice it has a nice arc to it. It builds. It has an arc. It's fun. Like it's yeah. It's a good like I could lead a show. Listen to this song. Yeah. You know what? Look what happened to Mabel is it is sort of a less show offy. I'm the greatest star. It's it, you know what I mean? Like it's not it's it's a little more um that's what I'm looking for. It's like a little more humble version of I'm the greatest star. So you get the same uh you get the, you get the same plot points across, the same character development across and some great vocals across, but it's a little less like is she though? I'm the best. Yeah, it's a little less. I'm the best, and a little less like compare me to Streisand, please. So yes, it's a little more just like oh, let's root for this little kid from Brooklyn. She's cute. Yeah, who's gonna die from tuberculosis? Yeah, tuberculosis due to a heroin addiction. Um, you know, like you do. Or she may be murdered. Uh, 
yeah no she yeah she might have murdered someone it people people are still on the fence about that she was cleared but still no yeah it's a okay so yeah um let's just get into this and and mess around because my god is this show a goddamn mess which is crazy considering how beloved it is yes yeah people who love mac and mabel and then listening through it i was like i had to reread the plot a few times (laughs) and at the end i was like yeah so like of all the shows that we've covered that were or sorry that I say of all the shows that we're going to cover on this series or already have covered this is the one that I would argue the like diehard theater community is most convinced could work um like everyone so we've already, by this point we've already done the Candide episode and like everyone's kind of written off Candide as like that show's never going to truly work but it's an amazing score so just like hire the best singers you can get a 5000 piece orchestra and like Balls to the wall. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Um, And everyone has a different viewpoint of like what would make Candide more successful. Mac and Mabel is on where everyone's like, well, the book just needs rewriting. But here's the thing, kids. They keep rewriting the book and it keeps not working. And I have a hot take about that down the road. So remind me to give you my hot take. Um, Oh, I will. So let's like, okay. Kimberly. In a nutshell, what is Mac and Mabel about? I'm an old man who loves a young lady. <laughs> it's like all of that. I suppose it is about the rise and fall of Mabel through the film industry and also the existence of Mac as a film director. <laughs> the show is very... Uh thorough to point out how successful and innovative he is and I love that you just describe it as he existed <laughs> I mean he's innovative and cool but he doesn't necessarily have like a yeah we he meet doesn't him at the beginning as famous yeah we sort of meet him at he the beginning of the show so. yeah at the beginning of the show we meet him as sort of like famous but a relic of the industry yes yeah so yeah I, there, I there was really truly no correct answer when I asked you that question Kimberly I was just really interested to hear how you'd say it yeah the the show opens with Max Sennett who was real he was a very famous film director um and I I guess I guess he was the founder of the Keystone Studio I think that's the name of the studio mm-hmm. he did because that's what led to the Keystone Cops and the Bathing Beauties I was you know just he was a silent film director primarily known for actually no exclusively known for his comedic shorts you know very zany wackadoo Things falling apart, pies in the face, people people running into each other and in, in changing rooms are going, whoa, a lot of that. And Mabel was one of his greatest stars and lovers for a long time. And then she went off and did her own thing and was a very big movie star. And then she sort of ended her life and career, uh, I guess, in disgrace. She was like one of the first movie stars where it was exposed that she had a drug addiction and it like very much tarnished her reputation, even though it was the 20s and everyone was doing cocaine. Yeah, that's what they were doing. Yeah, double standard if ever there was one, not just about women, but about famous people. It's like we hold them up to such a high standard. It's like, girl, we've all done the things. How dare we, how dare we, you know, bemoan Angelina Jolie for breaking up a marriage. We've done the same ourselves. That's called senior year of college. And having grinder for the first time. <laughs> so yeah, that's essentially that can Mabel, y'all. Uh Mabel dies young, tragically. And 
the show is sort of a memory piece because it starts with Mac after the talkies have come out. It's like 10 years after the jazz singer and he has to like clear out his studio before it gets repossessed or whatever. And then he's like, I'm here to live the old days. And then we flash back to when he met Mabel and then their time in Hollywood and then her demise. And then it comes back to present day. And then depending on the version you do either, he's like, and then she died and I never got to say it out loud. I love you, Mabel. And then he walks out of the studio and the curtain comes down or you have the rewritten version. Well, actually, the, sorry, there are two rewritten versions. Yeah. <laughs> There's one that conveniently uh, begins and ends in like 1928, two years before Mabel died. So we never actually have to say, and then Mabel died. Because <laughs> it's like, well, Mac, it's still, you know, talkies are now officially a thing. So like, you know, Mac is still a relic. It's just, you know, two years before Mabel dies. Or you get the other version, which is still 1938. And he comes back at the end and he's like, and I never got to say I love you, but I always promised you a happy ending. So let's give you that happy wedding you deserve. And then they get married and the curtain comes down and everyone's like, but wait, she's still dead. And, and maybe he the- is now too, because he like has a, was it a wedding in heaven? Like what's happening? I mean, it's the heavy side layer in cats y'all. It's like, are they dead? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's. <laughs> so like, did you, wait, did you ever see the cats movie? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know who hates themselves or not. So I ask, but so <laughs> opening weekend, baby, <laughs> like <laughs> same bitch, same. Um, but I, I mentioned in the cats episode, like in the show, a tire levitates and like a claw comes out of the sky. So even though it is sort of cultish, we at least see for our very eyes, like, Oh no, this is for real. Cause tires don't magic. float. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. Tires don't float and claws don't come out of the sky. This is real. She's going to get reborn. It's cool. The movie, they ignite a hot air balloon, which is very literal because hot air balloons do go into the sky and can only do so if you All ignite it. Yeah. Woo. So there's no magic there. And then she just goes into the clouds and disappears. And I'm like, that girl, her body is at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean where it's littered with the skeletons of other cats and other hot air balloons. And so that's, I think, how you could also interpret the hap- happy wedding and at the end of Mac and Mabel in the revised version. It's just like, he's imagining this glorious wedding and then like the janitor comes in and just sees like Mac dead on the floor. <laughs> like just hallucinating. Yeah. Just like this crazy man that he has to kick out of the studio. I said the same thing. I'm, I'm going back to all the other episodes. I said the same thing in the Violet mm-hmm. episode when Violet has like her mental breakdown in the church and she's talking to her dead dad. I'm like, I would love in the middle of that scene for the janitor to walk in and then just see a crazy violet having a full-blown conversation to empty air tears down her face i want to forgive you i want to heal you blah 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 and and he's just like bitch who you speaking to this church is empty (laughs) you feeling okay favorite thing in like musical movies or just like even comedies where they like some a character is doing something completely outlandish or like some sort of dream sequence and just you see someone like peek in Mm -hmm. that's like out of that world Oh, you were somebody then who really loved that dancing on the building scene and in the Heights when the kid sees them while he's eating dinner. He's like, what's going on? Because I maybe hated there's that. some sort of caveat of when I like that happening yeah. because yeah. that no, that made no sense. But, there, and, but if, if it's done to be funny and it is funny, then I sure. like it. Yeah, if that's it's done to be funny just to like nudge the audience in the middle of a romantic scene. No. Exactly. It's which honestly, you could argue that that 
the dancing on the side of the building number, which I already forgot what it was called. I want to say it's called Sunrise Sunset. No, that's Fiddler. Sunrise. Um, sunrise. Uh, that whole number in In the Heights is Mac and Mabel in a nutshell, because you have this romantic scene on the side of a building where they're dancing. And we've never established before in the movie that we can do that in this movie, that people can dance on build- yeah. on the side of buildings. And so you go, okay, whatever. It's in their head. It's a, it's a la-la land. They're floating in the middle of the planetarium. But then they but fucking cut to that- them. Yeah, that little fucking kid, that little crotch fruit sees them while he's having dinner. And I'm like, oh, so this is real. They can do this. This is Spider-Man. I was furious. I was fuming, Kimberly. And the number of the number of movie podcasts I listen to that have like very uh, harsh uh, critiques of a lot of other movies. And then I'm like, In the Heights is delightful. Like, I don't know why it wasn't nominated for Oscars. I'm like, because that screenplay is a mess. Anyway, I was like, I always yell on this. Let me listen to my block. Back to Mac and Mabel, because this is the dynamic of Mac and Mabel. It's yeah. Mabel saying something fun and then Mac going, I'm Robert Preston and I'm old. Uh, so is let's, that let's... much older than her in real life? Well, let's get into it. So okay. because I'll, I will address all this with the casting shenanigans of this show. Please do. So Mac and Mabel, written, uh, the score is written by Jerry Herman. The book is written by Michael Stewart, originally directed and choreographed by Gower Champion and produced by David Merrick, uh, which another podcast I tried to listen to, again, to get some insight into the show, uh, <laughs> called him the Abominable Snowman. And I said, it's the Abominable, abominable Showman, you uncultured. Yep. Better bit, fuck. better bit. Like, I'm like, oh God, whatever. And the, but they kept calling Gower Grower. I'm like, there's no second R there. It's one R at the end. Do you ever feel like he's you're really the, he's very famous? Do you ever feel like you're the only one who can read sometimes? Yes. <laughs> or the only one that can't, because then like stuff will pop up, and I'm like, I've been saying that wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just sometimes feel like I'm. The, I sometimes feel like uh, Will Ferrell, Tiana Zoolander. I'm like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Does no one else see? They're all the same look. Anyway, oh God, guys, it is 10.25 a.m. on a Sunday and I've just done a show and I've got another show to get to. So I am frazzled. We're Kimberly's... working our way through our coffees. Listen to us wake up. <laughs> well, yeah, listen to us wake up. Kimberly just sitting here being like, I'm enjoying the show. Uh, so the, the genesis of Mac and Mabel is uh, Edwin Lester, who was the director of the Los Angeles Civic Light Opera and Leonard Spiegelglass, who was a... Uh, Hollywood screenwriter, I, most people on this podcast would best know his adaption of Gypsy for film, which is a mediocre adaptation at best. Uh, they brought the idea to Jerry Herman. They're like, hey, Max Sennett, Mabel Norman, like the 1910s to the 1920s silent movie era, like their romance, her demise, like great stuff. If you liked and, Funny Girl. Yeah, if you liked <laughs> Funny Girl, watch a show where she ends up dead. Now, and like, for, and, they and, didn't know that part until they started writing the show. They're like, let's, I guess, figure out what happened at the end. Well, I think that's probably how the song Look What Happened to Mabel came about. Because they're like, what happened to Mabel? Oh, look what happened to Mabel. And Jerry Herman's like, I don't like the new end of the show. Look what happened to Mabel. And she's just (laughs) dead on stage. She's just so fucking dead. Yeah. God. Anyway. Well, that's actually how um, Half Your Troubles Away ended at Encores was with a dead body on stage, which I actually appreciated, but we'll get into that. Um, So they brought the idea to Jerry Herman. Jerry Herman's like, absolutely. I love this era. I'm from Hello, Dolly and Mame. All the tap 
uh, the the tapping, the toe tapping. I I love all of it. So they start writing it, and Leonard's doing the book, and then Herman's like, this isn't working out. So after about a year of writing, he's like, hey, Michael Stewart, we did Hello Dolly together. You do the book for Mac and Mabel. Meanwhile, half the score is already written. So Stewart's like, well, I got to write this book around Jerry Herman's score, on top of which it ends very sadly. And Herman's writing like the Mame and Hello Dollies of all scores. So what the hell do I do? Yep. Um, David Merritt comes aboard. They ask our champion to direct and choreograph it. Gower Champion's now in California with his family. And he's like, I really don't want to do a Broadway musical. I have to go out to New York all the time. It's it's a hell of a lot. Plus he's coming off of, um, I think he's coming off of Irene at this point, which like took 10,000 years off his life. And they said, okay, what if we do our, tri- our first two tryouts in San Diego and Los Angeles? We'll like rehearse out there too. And Champion's like, amazing, come to me. I'm a white man, but I say goes. A white straight man, mind you. So- they that's all settled and then it comes to casting uh also by the way this, this is i think yeah this is herman's uh show after dear world which was his first flop because he'd done milk and honey which was like a pretty decent success yeah. dolly which was a phenomenon uh mame which was like a semi-phenomenon and then dear world which was like a disappointment but angela still won a tony it ran for half a year so like it was a flop but as herman will learn it was the most successful of all of his flops. Um, He's about to go through a very dark period. So they start uh, going into casting and first they get Jerry Orbach to agree to play Mac, which is absolutely correct. He was the right age. Yeah. He like, he had a little bit of sex appeal. Like he can, he could do angry, but still like want to watch him. He would have been such a good Mac. Well, because if uh, anyone who knows him from law and order, obviously he's such a curmudgeon, but also Musical theater wise, you know, 42nd Street Carnival, he can play dicks that you still want to watch. And that's very important for Mac, as we'll talk about as we talk about this show. Then we get into the casting of Mabel. Now, you mentioned that there were some casting issues when uh, your husband was about to do Mac and Mabel. He didn't do Mac and Mabel either. We both weren't there anymore. But um, the theater where they were doing it, um, just a few people got fired. Um, yeah, right that'll happen. I think it was supposed to be the artistic director mm-hmm. of the theater it was supposed to be Mac, and then he got fired. Woof, woof. And so I actually don't remember who did it instead, but some flop. That was the main thing. Yeah. Well, so yeah, you two didn't end up seeing it, which just goes to prove my point. Mac and Mabel brings couples together by them avoiding the show. <laughs> so. <laughs> The casting drama with Mac and Mabel just comes from Mabel. Uh, first, it was offered to Penny Fuller, who listeners might remember as the original Eve in uh, Applause with Lauren Bacall. Is it Penny Fuller? Yeah, it was Penny Fuller. She was going to officially be Mabel. And then she got replaced by Marsha Rod. Now, some of you might be saying, who? And you'd be correct. Uh, she was a Tony nominee. I think in the late sixties, maybe in early seventies, I can't remember. Uh, she never really became like a name name, but she was like officially cast as Mabel. Uh, I, there might've even been contract signed and she goes on vacation right before they're going to start rehearsals. Uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, Robert Preston's like, Oh, you know, I've been meaning to come back to Broadway and this sounds like a fun role. And so the entire creative team was like, Oh, dump sexy Jerry Orbach and hire Robert Preston, who is lovely but 15 years older and not as good of a singer. So, you know, improvements. So as I said, Marshall Rod is on vacation while that's happening. 
Robert Preston gets cast. And also while that's happening, Garrett Champion goes to see a new Broadway musical at the Golden Theater called Words and Music. And he sees a young actress by the name of Kelly Garrett. And he's like, that woman is a blazing star. Her voice is incredible. She's got such an interesting face. I want her as my Mabel. And so Marsha Rod comes back from vacation and she's already think under contract. So what they try to do is to get her either to quit or to justifiably fire her. So Gower champion calls her up and he's like, we're starting rehearsals a week early. And she's like, that's weird. And she gets there. And like the very first day of rehearsals, Gower champions, like, it's not right. It's not right. Do it better. Do it better. Do it better. She's like, I'm sorry. I made you cry in my callback. I sang the score in a way that you guys said was definitive. Like, what changed happening exactly and after like i guess that week they finally go listen it's just not gonna work out sweetie and she's like i she's like i just spent like a grand going to bermuda on vacation thinking i had like a year-long contract yeah so they fire her they bring in kelly garrett kelly garrett does maybe two weeks of rehearsal and gower champion uh quickly learns that kelly garrett cannot act I guess when he saw her in words and music, he forgot to have her actually audition audition. And so he just. About the words. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Just, yeah. Forgot about the words, just the music. So there, he's like, oh shit, she can't act. And like this role requires someone who can act because they have to be a clown. They have to be dramatic. They have to die. He's got to be addicted to angel dust. Silent film star. You need the faces. Yeah. Yeah. As Norma Desmond said, we didn't need words. We have faces. (laughs) <laughs> oh God, let's not talk about that musical. Uh, so Kelly Garrett gets fired. and like, shit, we have no Mabel. <laughs> to the point that skeptics in the theater community were calling the show Mac and Maybe, which I think is genius. That's clever. Listen, <laughs> trolls were much more clever back in the day. Because they had to like spread the word of the <laughs> trolling. Yeah, the last time trolls were clever was when um, Love Never Dies kept getting postponed. Uh, due to technical issues and the trolls called uh, it paint never dries yeah. still call it that yeah i mean i just call the show dead fish now but um although maybe that would be better for big fish to call big fish dead fish oh yeah although now big fish having a bit of a life in high the- schools oh god do i have to now high include big fish to big this fish. to this lineup the high schools are doing big fish yeah i think so i guess that makes sense gen z has all this uh, daddy issues stuff, but you know, such as life. Also, while this is happening, Zoom is like, you've got 10 minutes left. So you need to upgrade to have more time. So while we talk, I'm going to keep having, uh, I'm going to upgrade my Zoom. So as we're talking, they're looking, guys, this, the clock is ticking. This is a very exciting episode. So while this is all happening, they go back into their files of who uh, auditioned for Mabel back in the day. And who do they come across? But oh, young little Bernadette Peters. Now, believe it or not, Bernadette Peters was once a no-name, if you can believe it. She was on Broadway for like a hot second, and then she really got her breakthrough in the off-Broadway musical Dames at Sea, which is very much in time with Mac and Mabel. It's similar era, similar uh, aesthetic. And then she goes to do... no, so she did George M on Broadway with Joel Grey. Then she does Dames at Sea. And then she does La Strada. So she showed that she can carry a Broadway musical, even if it does close on opening night. And they go, okay, okay, okay. Let's bring her back in. She goes to audition again. Um, and uh, they call her up and they go, okay, you are Mabel. And she's like, I was about to go out to Los Angeles because I thought that I would maybe book a pilot or a movie. And they said, that's stupid. Come be in a Broadway show where you don't know if it's going to last or not. She said, okay, I guess I'll do that then. And 
uh, if you ever read, I think, yeah, it's not since Carrie. If you ever read not since Carrie, uh, Ken Mendelbaum is like, I don't know why they didn't pick Bernadette from the start. Like she just was so clearly the right choice. And it tells yeah. you how doomed this show was that they couldn't see how right she was uh, from the, from the beginning. So yeah, it's, it's silly. Um, uh, they go into rehearsals. Apparently rehearsals go relatively smoothly. They open in San Diego first where the reviews are like pretty encouraging, but they're like, Hey, here's some notes we have. Like you don't, I think they actually had the happy ending to begin with. And then they're like, it doesn't really jive with what actually happened in her life. So they go to Los Angeles with the sad ending. The critics are like, listen, you got a lot of good stuff here, but your show's not really building up to that sad ending. It kind of comes out of nowhere, which is why the audiences are going out on such a downer. So they go, oh, understood. Let's keep making the beginning and middle of the show peppier and peppier. That's what we'll, that's what we'll do it. That's what we'll do it. Then they go to the Muni. Yeah. Then they go to the Muni in St. Louis for a week, which is why would you go there? And a <laughs> tried out at the muni before i saw that in like the wikipedia history of this show and i was like why the muni is where you go when you're like this show could be bigger yeah (laughs) no it's no sense to try out a show that's going to go in a tiny little broadway house truly i'm like i'm I'm so and and for anyone place on earth and for anybody um who is wondering like well, the Majestic is like 1,700 seats. No, no, no. The Muni is 11,000 seats. Yes. I went for the first time this past summer and I was like, oh. Yeah. And then on top of that, like, I just, I I don't know how shows tried out there. Because like, also you look up and you find like Angela Lansbury did like a stop of her uh, pre-Broadway run in Gypsy there, like when they were touring the country. Tyne Daly did the mm-hmm. same thing. I'm like, the, sh- the theater has no fly space. It's, everything is in the wings. Everything has to slide on from the wings. Um, they have like lighting rigs, but there's nothing you can store above the stage. It's just open sky. Yeah. How do and they do it? That they've planted on the stage. How do they do it? How do they do Better it? Internet. Yeah. I have no idea. So they, a weird place. they blame the Muni for like ruining the show. Cause they're like, we get there play for a week. And all of a sudden everyone's like playing to the back of the house. So when we get to DC, the whole show's out of whack. And I'm like, was that it? Or was it that you kept making the show peppier for a real downer ending? And then you ran for a week without any fly space. Stupid, stupid. They didn't cast Bernadette Peters from the start and they went to the Muni. These people were being stupid. Just weird choices. The weirdest of choices. Also, I just want everyone to know while we were doing this, I totally upgraded the Zoom. So now we have unlimited minutes. It was very intense. Seamless. <laughs> seamless. You know what wasn't seamless? The out-of-town tryout for Mac and Maple. And we're back. <laughs> they go to DC, Washington, DC, I believe at the Kennedy Center, where they are eviscerated. The critics were like, uh, someone said it was like, speaking of dead fish, someone's like, it literally has all the appeal of a wet dead fish yep 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 bad thing to say but also kind of true and then it's in this out-of-town period where gower champion goes oh wait film and stage are two very different mediums he's like just now just now we're learning he's like we're talking about characters who whose craft was in film and so we can't really show properly what made them so good at what they did? Because we're doing theater, especially this kind of film where it's all physical and, you know, buildings are coming, crashing down. Like, we can't really do that, can we? And I'm like, yeah, Gower, you guys have been working on the show for two years. You just figured that out. 
Sewey, Sewey. So he he adds film clips, like original film clips from the Max Sennett movies. And he's like, listen, I get it. We're going to bring comparison to our real life performance by doing it. But I need to show the audience like what uh, what was so great about this. And of course, they go to Broadway and all the critics are like, why would you do this? Because we just watched this brilliant clip and then we watch Bernadette Peters do her best to like be a silent movie. And no, it doesn't work. Film Bernadette Peters doing a silent movie and then yeah. Anyway, we've gotten better about adding film to theater, but we've, we've learned. gotten too handy with it. But that we have. We also, I mean, there's only one show I think that has like properly made a musical about the movie industry, and that's City of Angels. And that's because City of Angels doesn't actually like do movies, if that makes sense. Like they play out the, the screenplay as it's happening, but they do it very theatrically. Like you never feel like you're watching a movie, you almost feel like you're watching a stage play. Yeah, like you're like on set. Like you feel like you're on set, not in the, the cinema. 100, yeah, yes, the, <laughs> the cinema. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I had to differentiate when I said the theater because you're in a theater, but you're not in that one. And <laughs> he never makes a movie or a picture or a flick. He makes a film. Get it? A film. Movies were movies when Pauline was tied to the track. After she trudged through the ice with the babe on her back. Girls at the seashore would stand. All in a row in the sand Rolling their stockings an inch and a quarter below The line of decency and Swanson and Keaton You know what doesn't make me cry? Mac and fucking Mabel. Not even once, probably. Not even fucking once. She cries at the end. And yeah, bitch dies and I still don't cry. Um, I will say that I listened through the cast album multiple, multiple times this week and then yesterday went through the plot on wikipedia mm-hmm. and was surprised that she died didn't i send you the script did you send me the script i thought i sent you the script as well i mean it, it's fine that you don't read it there's nothing in there that will actually give you any greater insight other oh than- yeah you sent me the script and i'm just dumb but you're not dumb you just went matt i will only do so much homework <laughs> but uh- i watched everything else and i read the wikipedia thing <laughs> It's honestly reading the Wikipedia plot is as good as reading the script. Having again read it while listening to the score this week, I was like, "Oh, right." Um, back to DC though. They go to DC, yeah, shows dying, they get eviscerated. Uh, they keep, according to I think, and not since Carrie, like they just kept making it worse. They kept doing things that weren't working. Uh, one of the big points of is the word contrition. Is that the one I want to do? Or it was like, like conflict point of conflict, I guess. Contrition is yeah. probably not the right word. Uh, point of conflict when they were out of town is there's a song in the show called uh, when Mabel comes into the room. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. When Mabel comes into the room in the second. When Ma- when, yeah. When Mabel comes in the room, Gower champion is like, oh, God, that kind of song where it's like, it's the Dolly song. It's the Mame song. It's, you know, here's our leading lady in the entire ensemble going, here she is our yeah. leading lady. And look at her, look at her, look at her, look at her. And, you know, it has some, I would say it has closer ties to Dolly because it is, whereas in Mame, it's like, we love our leading lady. Dolly, when Mabel comes in the room, is very like, we love our leading lady and she's back. And all critics, when it finally did open on Broadway, went, Jerry, this is getting ridiculous. You keep on writing this these songs about the leading this lady. And Jerry Herman's like, I love it. I love to do it. Musical theater needs more of it. I'm mean, like, yes, but this time you just put her in a movie crane and floated her around and called it different. We miss just having you around and the old rapport. And 
Stephen Suskin, who wrote the book Second Act Trouble, which isn't really, he didn't really write it. He just collected articles about shows in trouble and then like added uh, annotations to it. He talked about how um, like the last preview of Mac and Mabel before it opened at the Majestic Theater, Dave and Merrick popped into Sardi's where Stephen Suskin was having drinks with someone during, uh, Merrick pops in during act one and he goes, I got about 80% where I want it. I hope that's enough. And Suskin writes, it wasn't because the reviews were, pretty much uniformly bad. The one thing they acknowledge is that Bernadette Peters was destined for stardom. They said, yeah, they said, you know, she's gonna, she's great. She's doing the best she can. She's so talented. She's got a bright future ahead of her. And she did. This one show's my, just not it. Yeah, they said the show's not it. Uh, one of my yeah. favorite lines is in the New York Times. They wrote, this show has book trouble so bad, it's practically library trouble. Because it's so many That's books. That's a good line. <laughs> it's, it's a good line. The show did I close love after reading that. old times reviews. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, I am not here for super catty commentary and reviews anymore. Just in the sense of it does, it's not beneficial to anyone. Like it feels good in the moment that you have a quippy line, but I'm sort of, I sort of like the idea of if you don't think it's good, let's talk about why it's not good. By this yeah, point, don't I will just like objectively be like, and this was bad. Yeah, for example. I will have seen it by this point. So anyone who follows me on Instagram will know my thoughts. But the one thing I did like about the Funny Girl Times review is Jesse Green very clearly pointed out why it's not Beanie Feldstein's fault that he didn't like her. He's like, here is why she's kind of set up to fail and like gives you a background on the show and how the show was written. And like, he's like, which is what a critic should do. Absolutely. And critique the show as a whole. Yes. And Jesse Green does not always do that. Let me no. be very clear. Not, he has had a very spotty so review good history. For this him. Yeah, that, that was the one review where I was like, okay, you you are being extraordinarily fair and objective. You're not being catty, and you are explaining very clearly why it is you did not care for this or why you don't think something is successful. I was like, that is great. And it provided a historical context, which like a lot of reviewers also don't do. They're just like, it's bad. Here's the good news about Mac and Mabel. After closing for two months, they did get after, after running for two months, they closed. They do a cast album and they get eight Tony nominations this season, including Best Musical and Best Book, but not Best Score. Not Best Score. Yeah, well, we're, this brings us to my hot take in just a second. They lose all of their Tonys, first of all, because that was the year of The Wiz, which actually replaced Mac and Mabel at the Majestic Theater. Some people like to say that business was picking up for Mac and Mabel, but the Schubert's forced them out because they really wanted the Wiz to come in. This is false. No one thought the Wiz was going to be a huge hit. No one was clamoring to have the Wiz in their theater. So Mac, if Mac and Mabel's business was picking up, it was maybe by the smallest amount. It was going from hemorrhaging money At to the end. Yeah. 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 It was going from hemorrhaging money to like a paper cut blood of money. But yeah, no one was being like, oh God, yes, the Wiz, get that money cow in here. Cash cow and money cow. Get that cash cow in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Money cow. Uh, the cast album. This is the recurring theme of this podcast, y'all, when it comes to underestimating and how these shows get the long lives that they do. There's a cast out. Hmm? I'm just singing underestimated now. Underestimated. Flashbulbs fill the air. I could sing that score until we're all dead. But, and again, I don't even think it's a good score. I just could sing all of it. But Mac and Mabel gets a cast album. And this is what keeps Mac and Mabel alive in the same way that Candide was kept alive in the same way that Pal Joey got to come back for a revival in the 50s because of the studio recording. We're going to see this 
over and over again, y'all. People start hearing the music out of context and they go, how could this show fail? This music is amazing. I can just picture how it is on stage. And then you see how the score works with the book and you go, oh, no, 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 no. Sometimes it works out. For example, with Pal Joey in the 50s, it comes back and everyone goes, oh, this show is a lot more sophisticated and intelligent than we realize. Of course, that book is now aged like moldy cheese, but in the 50s, they're like, oh, this is actually really good. It's same thing happened with Chicago at Encores. The, yep. like, they do it and they go, oh, this show actually works really well. Oh, wait, it's something. like Yeah, yeah. Mac and Mabel is not that situation. They keep realizing this. Uh, one of the things that actually really kind of brought Mac and Mabel back to public consciousness it's of like all the things in the world uh, is figure skating. I love figure skating. What happened in the figure skating? Well, I was waiting for you to ask. This is called, yes, this is how improv works, everyone. Ask questions, say yes and. So there is the figure skating team of Torval and Dean. They are British, were British Olympic and world champions. They did a routine at Worlds in 1982 to the overture of Mac and Mabel. And it's a great overture. Don't use words yet in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, now you no. can have words at the Olympics, but you can't, you couldn't then. Oh, can you do words now in, in figure skating? Yeah, you can have lyrics now, but like only a certain, I think there's rules of how many lyrics, but you can have lyrics now. I didn't know that. Yeah, because they're like, people should want to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we let's be real. There's a reason why the Winter Olympics are still the most watched because we all really enjoy the figure skating. Yeah, that's why like yeah. three different people used Elton John this year because they could finally have lyrics. <laughs> Next Winter Olympics, someone better do the goddamn main event from Diana. That is all I'm going to say. Thrill and ice dance, an ice dance team doing the main event. Absolutely. If not, I riot. I will riot. Yeah. And then a long program to underestimate it. Just <laughs> we'll call Jason Brown. He loves theater. Okay, go. <laughs> or or no, a long one to um pretty girl in a pretty pretty dress. And they have to constantly With a costume change, change halfway through. A, a million costume changes. Yep. My God, how off topic we go. Uh, I know. Torval and Dean, they do their routine to the overture and they win to the overture and they win the gold. And the routine gets rebroadcast in 1984 during the Olympics. And this brings the cast recording more to public consciousness to the point that the British public demanded it get re-released at which, which they released it in the re-released it in the UK, the album, and it climbed to number six. I'm pulling up the, I'm pulling this up to watch later. Just so you know, please do. I mean, it's good. They do a good job. Uh, this then leads to a concert in the UK and a production. Uh, where's uh, the first production? Oh, sorry. Actually the first production was done in 1981 with Dennis Quilly and Imelda Staunton, but that didn't go anywhere. Cause everyone's like, the show's no good. Then Torval and Dean do their routine and everyone's like, we want the cast album. They get the cast album. They do a concert in the late eighties with George Hearn and a couple of other people and Paige O'Hara. It's then done for real, real, not for play play on the West end with Howard McGillan and Caroline O'Connor, which with, with um, the revised book, which has the happy ending. It gets nominated for two Olivier's, including Best Musical. And I believe Caroline also was nominated. It lost both, uh, but it did run for 270 performances, which is four times longer than the Broadway production. So- and for the West End, that's very good because things I feel like don't stick around as long. It depends. It, they tend to let things that they created run a lot longer than they ever should. Like chess should right. never have run for four years. Aspects of love should never have run for three years. 
but they do it because they're like, we made Blood it. Brothers forever. Blood Brothers <laughs> literally till we're all dead. American musicals, they're a little more like, hmm, what have you brought us? And we're and like, for a minute, and now it'll leave. Yeah. UK is like, huh, what have the Americans written? And we're like, something better than what you wrote. Uh, so they invented musical theater. Because we did invent the musical theater. Every now and then yeah. we bring something over there and they're like, oh yeah, no, this is amazing. Uh, like they liked West Side Story way more than we ever did. But yeah, West Side Story ran like twice as long in the UK as it did here originally and made Cheetah Rivera a super big star. But that yeah so that 95 production is the one that like runs the longest has the most quote-unquote success if you will Mm -hmm. and the lore of mac and mabel getting reworked at some point and coming back to broadway is always in the air especially because goddamn jerry herman won't let it die people keep coming up to him being like that score babe that score is amazing he's like it's my favorite half of of jerry's girls it's like half (laughs) yeah yeah well mabel has the best stuff in it so of course they're gonna throw all the mabel shit in there yeah Andrew McArdle sings all of it in Jerry's Girls, and it's fun. Yeah. I All I want is an 80s Andrew McArdle with the teasedest of hairs is singing all the Mackles and Mabelses. And yeah. yeah, that would be great. They <laughs> they do a production at Reprise in LA, which for those of you who don't know what Reprise is, it was sort of the oh. encores of Los Angeles. Um, they, you know, they they did probably more well-known shows than encores did, but they also did more elaborate stagings than encores did uh, like full-blown costumes. More than like, a concert. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was slightly more staged. Like basically what, what encores, encores is becoming. <laughs> yes. What encores is now is what we're pre started as. Uh, and it ran for about 16 years, which is pretty long considering that LA notoriously hates theater, but they do a production of it in 2000 with Douglas Sills and Jane Krakowski. With, you know, an, with an updated book by Michael Stewart's sister, Francine Pascal, because Stewart is dead at this point. And uh, this is the this is the version of the book that Francine writes where uh, Mabel conveniently doesn't die because the show begins and closes before. Yeah. In the 20s before she's dead. And they get like one really good review in I believe it's Variety, uh, which is like, oh, my God, like the show works now. It's- yeah, and everyone's like, maybe. And then every other review was like, no, they didn't. They didn't do it. They didn't make it work. So back to the drawing You've board. You've never seen a musical before, Variety. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it feels that way. They bring, they go back to the drawing board. They do it at good speed in 2004 with Christiane Knoll, of all people. I never thought of her as a Mabel, but I mean, she's got a killer of a voice. Uh, yeah, I'd listen to it. Yeah. Variety is less kind this time. Variety's like, yeah, no, we were a little too over... Uh, anxious with our first review this one is this show doesn't work and again it's back to the drawing board finally encores gets to do it in 2020 with alexandra Sosha and douglas sills after years apparently of them asking jerry herman to let them do it and he kept being like no because we're gonna fix it and it's gonna come to broadway we're gonna fix it it's gonna come to broadway and we're like jerry it's never gonna happen no uh so they do it and it's fine i saw it it was fine and that's kind of where mac and mabel ends with its history now We'll talk about songs and all that other shit. I just tossed my notes to the side. Hot take about Mac and Mabel. People always say, great score, bad book. I'm going to go one further and tell you bad book, bad score. It is a wonderful collection of songs. It is a bad score. Or it is not. Even just listening through the cast album, there's not cohesion. No, and especially considering what the story is, 
it does not fit. So, um, God, I'm trying to, okay. People talk about like the book trouble. Oh, it's got this really downer of an ending. It's, it's uneven. It's rushed through. All these things are true. If you read the script as well, like it's mostly just a collection of like, and then this happened and then this happened. Uh, plot points are rushed through like none I've ever seen. Literally Mabel comes on to deliver a sandwich becomes an actress on page four becomes a movie star on page six and then on page eight everyone's like we have issues like the like the the wrench and the plans already have on page eight and then it all gets Mm -hmm. fixed because they get to go to los angeles they go to los angeles and then it's like rinse and repeat rinse and repeat mac and mabel fall in love on page nine for no other reason other than the fact that mabel wants to fuck him and you're asking by the way like oh was the age difference this extreme in real life it was not as extreme as the robert preston bernadette peters uh, age difference the or the Douglas Alexander Socha. Yes, it was when not I saw that casting. I was like, no, hmm. it's not 25 years plus. They were 13 years apart, which is exactly the age difference between Jerry Orbach and Bernadette Peters. So imagine 1974, Jerry Orbach and Bernadette Peters. Yes, it's slightly a little more, it's still slightly May, December, but it is not that extreme. Like they're it's still believable. Yeah. Like it's you under still have like friends with that age group age gap not so much as just like weird celebrities with a crazy age gap you know like i was about to say (laughs) it is it is still less than the Catherine zeta jones michael douglas age difference the annette benning warren Beatty age difference yes yeah it is 13 is not the end of the world uh it is fine but yeah they just keep casting with like 70 year old men or 55 year old men and 24 year old also they're like well it's a memory so like when he comes on he is old at the beginning they're like great and then you young him up but you do not age mabel at all you let her be 18 and then age up and you let him be old and age down and then it just becomes very awkward to watch kimberly i don't know if anyone's told you this about science but when a woman hits 25 she ceases to exist i know i've heard i don't exist you don't (laughs) exist it's erasure it's I mean, femin- your imagination. Yeah. I'm going to write a play. It's going to be a woman in her thirties. <laughs> I I'm sorry. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. They need support. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you like the moment Sutton Foster hits 50, all the bitter bitches that I know who don't like her are going to start fucking loving her. And I'm going to be like, I've been Let loving her for 20 years. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. That's so true. God, I would eat glass if she asked me to. Anyway, uh, and actually, you know what? In a, I would say 10 years ago would have been an awesome Mabel in a show that worked. But yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So like when we talk about in her school, drowsy days. Oh, oh, my God. In her drowsy days when she did that mm-hmm. cartwheel one handed because she could. Mm-hmm. Mm. Into a slit. Uh, <laughs> into, into the cooter slam. That was a cooter slam. She did not slide into it. She popped up, popped down. Down. Yep. Uh, this is going to be the second time on this series that I say pussy popping. Um, <laughs> the, the first time was talking about glitter and be gay. Glitter oh, and be sure. gay. Yeah. yeah. Pussy popping Aria. Um, <laughs> that's just, that was just Barbara Cook mopping the floor and going, you can't do this. And I'm like, you're very right. Yeah, that song's hard. It's, <laughs> I did that show in college. That's right. Oh, you're the one. Um, th- that's, that, I've, I've already talked about it at this point. That song is not only hard vocally, but you also have to be funny. And the number of the number of operatic women who can't be funny. And then also like, I just don't, I don't like full-blown opera singers doing that score. I like 
people who do musical theater with classical training doing that score. Yep. Yeah. Chenoweth. Like, yeah, like the, like Chenoweth or the Robert Cooks. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, this, uh, listeners are going to be so mad at me because I'm just repeating Candide by this point. But if you listen to that, there's a national theater recording from when they did it in 1999. It's not the best recording, but it is really strong. And Alex Kelly, who plays Kunaganda, is my second favorite Kunaganda after Cooks because she's hysterical. The way she goes, could the purest diamond purify my name? And I'm like, oh, God, played Dolores Umbridge already. So when we talk about scores, though, Kim, 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 uh, how do you define a musical theater score? Not just a collection of songs, right? Like it's something else. Yeah, like it needs to have a reason that all of those songs are in the same show. Mm -hmm. And the score and the book are inherently entwined because they are telling the same story. Mm -hmm. And so you should be able to listen to the score. Well, different shows are different, but like you should be able to listen to the score and be like, that was a full show. Like there was an arc to the music. There was an arc to the characters. Even if you don't have the entire book in front of you. Write it down, everyone. Kimberly Kimber Schmidt, uh, Kimberly Cooper Schmidt says different shows are different. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some shows where there's like all of these songs are fun, but like I don't know what's happening. Like Yeah, well, that's like my big critique of the Groundhog Day cast album is they don't do a good job of making you understand what's happening on stage. And that's a show that I very much love, but you listen to it sometimes and you're like, what? Um yeah. just and know that, that sometimes it- be the fault of a cast album, not necessarily a score. Yeah, exactly. Just like the choosing of what arrives on the album and i've said like some of the best musical theater comedies if they're truly doing their best like some of the songs won't work out of context because they are so entwined to the book like some songs in mormon if you listen to them out of context you're like what but i'm like i swear on stage with the book and the staging it all makes sense i promise yeah there are songs that like in multiple shows that i skip listening to on cast albums but like i love when they exist in front of me oh yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mac and Mabel, when I say that it's not a good score, as we were saying, like it's because it a it it is ba- doing battle with that book from start to finish, and some of it works. Like songs like "Time Heals Everything" would work in Act yeah. Two in the moment when Mabel is going in her spiral and she's been away from Mac, but the book has not done enough work to form their relationship to have them be apart from each other for long enough for her to to actually show us any of that spiral uh so the song actually isn't justified when you watch it on stage you listen to it you listen to burn that peter sing her fucking heart out and you go oh i can imagine in this moment in the plot what that would do but it's not justified when mabel comes in the room isn't justified first of all when you do get a chance to just read through that libretto and it's like 45 pages so it'll take you less than that Yeah, we'll take you less than an afternoon. But Mabel, so Mabel leaves Mac at the end of Act One. That's where wherever he ain't is, which is a great like I'm out of here. Thirty two pages. I want to tell pages. you, and that's inclusive of the title page and the yep. cast list. Exactly. It's a short. It's a short book. Uh, Mabel leaves Mac at the end of Act One because she wants to be a serious actress. And yeah. which also, by the way, people go, well, she did die in real life. I'm like, half of this script is made up about what happened to them, especially like what kind of person Mabel was. They basically say like, she's a dum-dum who never really could act. Mac just told her what to do. And that's why she was so tied to him. I was like, in real life, Mabel Norman wrote screenplays with Charlie Chaplin. She directed her own movies. She started her own studio with Mac. Like, girlfriend It's knew- almost like a bunch of men decided this woman was interesting and thought, let's write a musical about her. 
but only about the man she maybe loved. Listen, I don't want to leave. I, I hate to say not all men, just because we have movies like All About Eve, which some of, with some of the best female characters in cinema written by yeah. a dude. But when I say not all men, what I mean is like, there are very, very specific exceptions, but often, more often than not, men write bad female characters. They also write bad male characters, but that's also just because we have so many bad writers. Yeah, writers, yeah. So we have a lot of bad male writers. We have a, we have some bad female writers too, but we don't give enough women chances to write to really determine how what the real percentage is. Exactly. Uh, God. Yeah, we talked about that with Katie Johansson on Six. It's like, let more women get a chance to be mediocre to figure out how good they are or not. Just like, come on. Please, please. Please, please give them a chance. Everyone ha- deserves a chance to really just be overpraised or underpraised i gotta give my life some sparkle and fizz and think a thought that isn't wrapped up in his the place that i consider paradise is wherever he ate wherever he ate no more to wither when he's grouchy and gruff no more to listen to him bellow and bluff tomorrow morning i'll be strutting my stuff wherever he ain't wherever he ain't enough of being bullied and bossed Ta-ta. mabel has her wherever he ain't moment where she's like done with mac and again slapping of a song but it's it does not feel justified in the show but so act two begins and immediately everyone's like we need to bring mabel back so Mabel's been gone for four pages and then she comes back and everyone's like, Mabel, she's back. She's back. She's back. And I'm like, she's been gone for a second. The show tries to tell us it's been five years. I'm like, yes, during th- that intermission that we just had was the five years for us. It's been 15 minutes. We need, we need more. Yeah. We need more. Show us what life is like for a minute without her and yeah. then bring her back. And on top of that, again, when you do read the libretto, they're like, we're still making money. Like, because act one ends with Mac being like, fuck Mabel, I'm going to create my best yeah. thing yet, which is the Keystone, uh, not the Keystone Cops, the Bathing Beauties. The Bathing Beauties, yeah. Yeah, and act one ends with them, them being like, we're more successful than ever. And then act two begins, it's like five years later, later, and they're like, we're still making money, just not as much as we were five years ago. Bring Mabel back. And it's like, no, you guys need to be really fucking slumming it. Like we, we need to show that she's needed. Not that it's like, oh, let's go back. Let's go from making a decent amount of money to Boku money. That's not a way to endear yourself to us, Mac and Mabel. What is a song you do like in this show? Actually, sorry. What is a song you like? And what is a song that you think works? Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Because those two might not be the same song. Exactly. Because for instance, I like Time Heals Everything. I like the one bit of sadness we actually get. But you're right. It's like in this plot where I'm just like, but do they like each other? Yeah. Or I'm well, not we'll, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that relationship in a minute because that's a major issue with this show. Yes. And that goes into the song that I do like, which is I Won't Send Roses. Mm-hmm. I love because I am the aromantic person in my marriage. And I'm just like, man, I'm never going to remember any of the no. <laughs> our anniversaries. I don't know. Um, and I like that song. And I think that song almost and could work better. I feel like that's the crux. I'm not answering your question because I'm just like, this is the song that could fix it. Because <laughs> I like to fix things. 
Well, that's that's like, a that's a question that we'll get to at the end, uh, which okay. is called the missing link, which is if there's something you think could fix it. Um, yeah, which my answer is I like totally that song because it like is like, and he won't do this, and like in the moment, I appreciate mm-hmm. that song of like, oh, I see that we got a little insight to him of he understands like he could love this person, but he's not good at it, so he's going to choose not to. Yes, it's well, and it's also him saying sort of like, you know, that's not my language. This is what I do. And it doesn't mean that I won't love you. It just means like, it doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It doesn't mean anything. But like, I am 13 years older than you. And I know myself at this point, and I'm not going to do any of these things. Kind of. It's George and Sunday in the park saying like, when you know, I cannot give you words, not the ones you need. Exactly. Uh, Which is all these musical men had read the five love languages and could have just told everyone I'm not words of affirmation, but I will give you gifts. Like, yeah, absolutely. Listen, there's, there is a kind of admiration I have when someone knows themselves well, and like, I've tried, can't do it. Uh, and that I do, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. So know that and be okay with that or look for somewhere else. Um, that yeah, I want to roses is a great song in that respect because it gives you insight into who Mac is and what his love languages are, but also like it's not an angry song. And because oh. he's and he spends most of the time being so angry. The fact that it's a lot softer is nice because it's very it makes it sound more plain spoken. Where it does why it doesn't work in the show is because up until that point, Mac and Mabel have never had anything resembling chemistry. She comes on, she's a delivery girl, and he's like, here's your money. Ah, you're in front of my camera. Ah, you're pretty good. I don't know. Give her a contract or something. And then three years go by and she's like, I'm just your movie star. We're not together or anything. And then they go off to LA with that song, Big Time, which sounds a lot uh, like that song in Will Rogers Follies. There's the big time, then the medium time, then the small time, then the medium small time. It just gives me that vibes all the time. Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we're packing up our bags and going to Hollywood. And on the train to Hollywood, is when supposedly they fall in love. Supposedly. Um, this is trying to sort of be the, the thinking man's bench scene from Carousel, but it's on a train. And Wait, I was literally going to say, it's their attempt at the conditional love song at the beginning of a show. Yeah, but the difference is that- but it's like, not quite there. Well, so like with Carousel in Oklahoma, we spend all the time leading up to the conditional love song establishing that there is something there yeah like the, like carousel billy and julie meet on the carousel there's the sexual connection they both lose their jobs because of each other like they fight for each other and with each other and then we get to if i loved you so it's like we we the audience knows there's something there and it's about getting them to finally just admit it yeah. oklahoma same thing laurie and curly are yeah. always fighting because like all they want to do is fuck but she's too proud to say anything he's too cocky to say anything we're in love yeah. exactly Mac and Mabel, they don't got none of that. Their first interaction is pure business. Their second interaction is pure business. It's finally on the train that it becomes like personal. And even then it's mostly just him negging her. Cause she's like doing, she's like thinking of poetry on the train and sure it's bad poetry, but he's like, that's yeah. bad. And she's like, oh, I know. And then she's like, well, let me make you some dinner. And oh, by the way, here's the, like, we stole some silverware from the card and like, here's a uh, napkin ring let's use this as a wedding ring i'm like wait also now we're in a fake marriage what fake wedding yeah yeah fake wedding so it's all very quick and then he's like listen before this goes any further i won't send roses and i'm like 
we just established half a page ago that you guys that she kind of liked you and you've spent this entire song saying that you're not a scene saying that you're not into her in any way of just like ripping apart everything she's ever said or done how am I supposed to buy any of this you know yeah and then her little reprise of like well he won't send roses but like I'd rather not roses I don't remember the exact lyric yeah, she said, who no needs roses, roses if roses they're not from him else. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, who needs roses if they're not from him? And I'm just like, do you, do you know who he is? <laughs> that, yeah, that's, again, like, they don't really know each other, even though they claim it's been two, three years since she joined the studio. But, like, yeah. we see them on the train. We see them in the studio during after that time jump. We get no indication that they know each other, that they have any kind of rapport. It's, um, and that's something that, like, I don't know. I think they should have had a song together before I Won't Send Roses. They actually never even have a song together when you think about it. They have songs separate from each other and they never duet. That's true. Because he leaves and then she sings. Yeah. Both yeah. times. Yeah. Any t- they, he, the only time there's ever a song between them is the first time he sings I Won't Send Roses and it's to her. And then yes, he leaves and she sings her bit. My pace is frantic. My tempers cross with words romantic. I'm at a loss. I'd be the first one to agree that I'm preoccupied with me and it's inbred, kid. So keep your head, kid. And if he calls me and it's And yep. then she sings wherever he ain't when he's not on stage. She sings Time Heals Everything when he's not on stage. Um, he only has actually, I think, that one song uh, uh, to her about her. Everything else is about his career. I want to make the world laugh. Movies were movies. It's yeah. yeah it's, the show is trying so hard to talk about their relationship plus where Hollywood was going and her career and his career. And I'm like, everything needs to- on so much yeah. that it's either like, make this a love story or make this a documentary about the film industry like yeah choose. and the way they sort of portray his viewpoint of making movies so like we have the opening song which is the ang- we have the song movies or movies which is one of the angriest intros to a character to get us to like understand them i've ever heard it, it makes for a very thrilling overture but it's and it's you know and it's exciting music but he's like Movies on movies when and it's meant to tell us, you know, it's it's terrible today. We were so great back then. And meanwhile, it's 1938, and we're about to have the best year in cinema of all time with like Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz and the mm-hmm. women and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Like the I think it would be more interesting if the show framed Max Creer as, you know, he was innovative for his time, but he wasn't willing to okay. adapt 
to mm-hmm. where cinema was going and cinema just got better after him. And that'd be a great parallel to like, he couldn't adapt with Mabel and he couldn't adapt to cinema. And now look at him. He has no career anymore. And he lost the life, love of his life. And like, what has that taught him now as a man? Maybe it's humbled him a bit, but it doesn't. Um, it's <laughs> why would a woman's existence affect a man? Well, then we go into the difficult territory of does Mabel become the pixie dream girl to him of, you know, her existence is just to make him have an arc. But and the show tries to make her her own person. But every again, Kimberly, when you read this script, I need you to text me on the constant because <laughs> the number of times where she's just like, oh, I'm nothing without Mac. And everybody keeps saying, like, you're not you're something. And then she's like, you're right. I am something. But then the show doesn't ever make her anything. Like she goes off to have her own career and, and everyone's like, oh, it's terrible. We don't see it. We don't see it. We don't see it. We just hear people saying, oh, it's terrible. She's lost everything. Like she's not who she was. Again, meanwhile, she had a perfectly fine career without Max Sennett. Um, It's just, it's, oh God. Kimberly, this show is no bueno. This show will, will never work unless it gets completely rewritten. Not just the script, but the score. Score. And what you're like, just the genesis of the show in that a lot of the score was written before the new book writer came in and Jerry Herman was probably unwilling to do anything else. Yeah. Well, he's, like he's, Jerry Herman was Jerry Herman. And so this new book writer was like, well, I'll work with what I've got. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had like a history, they had a history and everything, but the book writer is always the one who gets the most blame when things don't work. And sometimes with the score, you do have but to the throw the score out- is part of the book and the book I'm- writer is allowed to say to the score, this song no longer works here. This song no longer goes here. The book is everything inclusive of the score and they have to work together. Preach, bitch, <laughs> preach. Ah, Everything is telling a story. If it's not all connecting to a story, I don't fucking care. Would I love it to be a beautiful- not a musical. <laughs> would I love it to be a beautiful song sung by a beautiful voice that tells a wonderful moment in the story connected to a great actor? That's the- that's the dream. Yes. But I, oh God, it's when, uh, when people I speak to, and I'm talking also about like older theater gentlemen, when they say like, well, that score is just fantastic. But you know, X, Y, Z, I'm like, the score is not fantastic if it's not helping the show in any way. If it, if it's so strong that it can only work out of context, it's not a great score. Um, it's I, nice I, no, I argued this actually with Candy, which is, you know, I do think the Candy score is great because it actually does elevate the show in a lot of ways and fits the story yeah. and all that. Like, yeah. it really is what keeps it all together. Mac and Mabel on stage, you watch it. And even those great songs in the moment, you're like, it's not justified. It, does, it doesn't It does help in any way. It ends and we're back where we started. It's not moving the story that you're telling. It's not affecting the live like the inner lives of the characters i would even argue the score is like kind of poisoning the story in a lot of ways because it's these again these wonderful this wonderful collection of songs these wonderful songs separately mm-hmm. beautiful melodies really strong lyrics uh god there's like there's, a jerry herman trunk show <laughs> kind of yeah that's why it works better in jerry's girls but there's that yeah. one lyric there's that one lyric in um hundreds of girls i think it is or maybe it's i want to make the world laugh i don't remember what it is don't ask me but he has one lyric that's a really clever rhyme and he uses either a state or a town as part of the rhyme. I, if anyone remembers, t- let me know and I'll say it in a later episode. But uh, it, we hear the music, we hear how you know catchy it is or how gorgeous it is. And we 
fool ourselves into thinking, well, if only the rest of the show could live up to this. I'm like, actually, this song isn't fitting into this moment at all. And if we were more ruthless about making sure this show could work, we would cut the song and write a new one or and then or like cut the song, start the scene from scratch and then write a new song that fits in with said scene. But first of all, Herman's dead, so we can't do that anymore. But even when he was alive, he wasn't willing to do that. They, he didn't write any new music when they were quote unquote fixing. He wanted someone to write the book. He wanted yeah. someone to fix the book around his songs. And that is not how a collaborative process works. Nope. Uh, again, guys, the Candide, go back to that Candide episode. We'll talk about how they didn't fix the show, but they made it better. And it's because Bernstein allowed Hal Prince to fuck around with the music a bit. Um, yeah. To make it fit. Different how... versions of Candide are fascinating. Like the way people have changed that score around. Oh yeah. Once again, everybody go back to the, to the last episode and you'll, I will. I will. Um, I would, yeah, I think time heals. Everything is objectively the best song in the show, just in terms of it's yeah. the right song for that moment. The reason it's not just, I would, and it's maybe the one song where I'm like, it's lack of justification as isn't even the song's fault. The show should build up to that moment properly. It is the right song for that moment. Uh, and out of context, it's absolutely devastating and gorgeous. And there's a wonderful video of Bernadette Peter singing it at the Tony Awards when Robert Preston passed. It's perhaps my favorite version of that song. Uh, it's classic Bernie acting all the beats, singing her way. And she's not being indulgent yet. We've got like another 10 years until she starts becoming indulgent Bernie where, you know, she's going to fuck around with the tempos and the time signatures yeah. and start doing shoulder shrugs when it's not necessary. <laughs> the, the, you know, the little shimmy. I'm Bernadette Peters. I love her so much. I love her so much. What is it? No. Don't dwell on the past Cinderella. It's not very attractive. Uh, but watch that version. Cool. Say what? Her best role. <laughs> honestly kind of kind of kind of she's oh god I've, I've already talked i'm so off topic and i've talked about that movie the cinderella movie so many times but it is a master class it's a master class in how to make the wildest of choices for your line deliveries but if they're rooted in character it fucking works yeah oh, the, oh god because beat 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 your common cinderella just oh, Peg me with all of your Tonys, Bernadette Peters. Just do it. Uh, but going back to Time Heals Everything, uh, it's, it is that performance of it is gorgeous. And you absolutely get the sense of how devastating that song is. It gives you insight yeah. into Mabel in the same way that I Won't Send Roses gives insight into Mac. But unlike I Won't Send Roses, that moment feels right. It feels justified. So This, and so yeah I'd say my favorite song and the song that I think is the most proper for the show is that one uh, Tap Your Troubles Away is a song that 
Let's chat. Let's <laughs> has absolutely no business being in the show, especially when you again you read the script and Mac is like, "Well, Lottie, that woman who's had five lines in the show, she became a big musical star, and then she sings Tap Your Troubles Away." Your troubles away. I have uh, no idea that song was from this show oh, until yeah. this this week. Until and I was like. Why? Why is this here? <laughs> you learned something new, Kimberly. What the what they do in the script is she sings the whole song, and then they do like a dance reprise, and the dance reprise is supposed to be covering like Mabel's getting drunk and high because she's going down the road of sin, and uh, her gentleman friend, the director, I already forgot his name. It's um, um, uh, it's three names. It is she- a yeah, it's a three name, um. God, what is it? What the fuck is it? Um, because he's the one who dies. Yes. I'm, I'm gonna I find it. I wrote it down. I swear, everybody, I did write it down. Uh, Keystone Cops. No, not you. Not you. Not you. Not you. William Desmond Taylor. There it is. William Desmond Taylor. He keeps leading her down the road of vice, and then he gets shot and dies. And that sort of happens during the reprise of Tap Your Troubles Away. Encores, I'm pretty sure, got rid of the reprise and just made the whole oh. song of Tap Your Troubles Away a commentary yeah. on Mabel's drug addiction and her spiraling. So, like, the song begins, and it is performance. And then by the second verse, we see more of Mabel's life. And then the song ends with Taylor getting shot, and you see, like, Mabel with his body, blood on her hands dramatization she wasn't there when he died but you know theater we we, we do we do what we can and i'm like yeah that's it that's very cabaret of you of taking this really peppy song and having it sort of represent a very dark story I am in someone's life yeah exactly and i'm like that is when this score makes sense is when the peppiness is is uh masking the darkness but that is not what herman intended when he wrote it no no he just likes pep yeah, absolutely. I imagine if like during um look what happened to Mabel, it's just like everyone's doing cocaine, shooting up heroin and like raw dogging in the alleyways while she's singing this peppy song. She's like, the movie industry is amazing, and like everyone's getting molested and doing drugs. Yeah. That's the it's Sam really- Mendes Mac and Mabel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alan coming as Mac. Alan coming. <laughs> Oh God! Can you imagine Natasha Richardson's Mabel? That would be fascinating. Listen, listen, listen. Natasha Richardson is still the ultimate Sally Bowles. I said it on my Instagram the other day. Oh, and don't tell Mama when she goes. Won't you kindly do a girl a great big favor? I'm like that is sexy. That is charming. That is cute. Um, which is all you. Which is something you do need for Mabel. Although she's not really. She was never a belter, so she couldn't sing wherever he ain't the way we'd want. But we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that now. I um, know. <laughs> I know, very sad. Uh, let's let me ask you some questions here, Kim. Kim. Sure. Uh, first question: Over, under, or estimated? Which of these three do you think is right for Mac Mabel? Is it overestimated, underestimated, yeah, yeah. or properly estimated? Um, I think Mac Mabel is overestimated because people keep trying to do it. People keep thinking that there's something there to fix. And I think it's yes. unfixable. Yeah. Just sing the songs in concerts, guys. Just yeah. do a concert version of it in college and a thesis. Mac and Mabel is Jerry Herman's wild party in that the songs are so much better in cabarets than they are in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
listen, did I just spit facts? Yes, all over your face. The number of people have been like, but life of the party. I'm like, yeah, have you seen the show though? When you see the show, you're like, let's move on with the plot, please. But in a cabaret, all over my face, all over my face, please. Absolutely. Uh, Now we get into something that I was talking about earlier, the missing link. Mm -hmm. What is missing from the show that you think could maybe connect it better? Outside of a total rewrite, which we've already said we would do. Yes. (laughs) Outside of just hiring a new team to write a different show Mm -hmm. about these two people. Yeah. Um, Just any inkling of them having affection towards each other. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying earlier of like Mac learning some sort of lesson about his personal life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you sent me that clip of of, um, why it didn't work. Yeah. And cutting the love story from, was that during movies or movies? Like when he would go into each one and like talk about his love with Mabel that they cut. Maybe that's how I imagined it, but it wasn't entirely. It might. Yeah. It might, it might've been that, or it might've been, I want to make the world laugh. I don't know. He's got like four production numbers, Mac, uh, that have nothing to do with Mabel. Like nothing, but like, for movies or movies, she's there, right? Like, no, she shows up. After oh no, that. not movies with movies. Um, um, I want to make the world laugh. Yes, she's there for that. Yeah, but like that has nothing to do with her. No, he's just like you shouldn't do this because everything should be funny. Yeah, he's like, and by the way, it, it should always be connected to me. Everything you do should always be because of me. Yeah, just there should be, I don't know, either lean into the arc of movies as a whole. Or lean into like this weird, toxic, codependent relationship they have formed. And like, I don't care if any of it's true. Make it effective. (laughs) Yeah. You need to also give us a reason why Mabel would want to be with Mac. And something. So like, okay. We always bemoan the love at first sight things in musicals. We bemoan when a relationship is formed too quickly. I think... there's not, I don't have any issues with relationships forming quickly if it's justified. There's got to be a reason where we see the connection. Like, yeah, Just and I think the immediate chemistry because that's yeah. true. Yeah. Like, love at first sight is just like chemistry. Very <laughs> like, much if two so. Two people walk on stage and I believe that they want to make out right then, mm-hmm. then I will believe that they're falling in love in 10 minutes. 100%. And on top of that, when and we know it's a musical we know yeah but like it's also a musical's job to set the scene for us and like musicals have it better than any other medium to do so because music can tell you what to feel it's what makes it's what makes uh the love at first sight and west side story work every time even when people are like would they really fall in love like the way that bernstein has written that music yeah to have everything fade away and starts playing the radio stuff. Like it doesn't matter. Oh. We we hear it and we understand no. what's going on Every and we time. buy it. Yeah, we buy it. Mm-hmm. The If we can't have that moment for Mac and Mabel, the least we can do is have Mabel really be attracted to Mac's craft and his passion uh, for making yes. movies. But the problem is that the way that the show portrays Mac's uh creative instincts are is more like he has something to prove against the world when he's like i want to make the world laugh i'm like do you because every time you're talking about making movies you've never been funny 
you've never been funny you've and every time you're a joke and every time you're making a movie it's never you know don't you know what we're doing what we're bringing here it's it's always man what i know is right and yeah man it, it's he seems as if he's making movies because he's he wants to be in charge of something not because he can't think of anything else to do um we need which, to see him either fall in love with mabel or fall in love with comedy mm-hmm. <laughs> either choice yeah and instead they kind of treat comedy as like this vice that he has that he just keeps on indulging and everyone else rolls their eyes it's sort of okay the, so i i was thinking about this the other day because the number of times kimberly cooper schmidt that i've had to discuss la la land in a positive way because it's a movie that i actually quite like um and i understand that a lot of people don't and then the other day i went maybe this is one of the reasons that this particular plot point is sort of a gray area for a lot of people it's the ryan gosling jazz thing i always like it when characters are passionate about something and in la la land he's very passionate about it in a very earnest kind of way which makes a lot of people uncomfortable however when he's describing the passion for it it's less of like I want the world to see what I see or hear what I hear and more sort of like, doesn't anyone understand why I'm right? And that's where the attitude can get a little muddled for some people. I understand it because that's me in school theater. I'm like, don't you all understand why I am correct and you are wrong? But (laughs) yeah, but I, but I think that, I think if the movie portrayed Ryan Gosling's love of jazz is more sort of like, I really just want the world to really hear the way I hear it because I think that it's, that that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that makes, I think that would make the majority of audiences fall in love with it instead of it being like a divided 50 50. Uh, Mac and Mabel, <laughs> Mac is purely a dictator, which is why none of us find him an interesting protagonist. It like, comes down to like Robert Preston just sounds mad when he sings. Like, even I want to make the world, like, his timbre is just angry. And I don't, now I just want to hear Jerry Orbach sing it. God. at least with jerry orbach there would have been a sex appeal about it because jerry orbach can be a pretty like angry singer sometimes although promises, promises, isn't it grand yeah, yeah. Promises, promises he's yeah he's so adorable um and like th- earnestly cute and like like he could bring some of that youthful energy to like movies or movies and like mm-hmm. make you want to follow this person although a framing device of like i was right all along is never the best yeah that's the thing that's the thing is the framing device is there to like essentially prove mac right that it was better and that he his instincts were correct and it's like no because he's alone and he has no career anymore so he just seems like a curmudgeon i think you're showing us at the like you show us at the beginning the end and then when you get there you're like so this whole time we know he learns nothing yeah like we are aware of his arc because you showed us him at the beginning. Well, and so the, yeah. And he, the beginning is him. We also like, again, when you start reading the libretto, like he comes into that soundstage and he is just a douche from the word go. Like the watchman is trying to be polite, but also do his job and follow the rules. And Max like, go fuck yourself, go die in a ditch. I'm here. I'm Max Senate. I'm going to piss all over here and then burn it to the ground. And I'm like, dude, the watchman is just doing his job. Like he has yeah. a paycheck to earn. You don't know what he's got going on at home and it's three in the morning. Can you maybe like not? And he's also like being super polite to him too. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was you, Mr. Senna. But you know, the studio said, and it's like, and he's like, oh, fuck you and the studio. I'm like, okay, okay. Already you make us hate this dude. Uh, like he has to save nine babies in order for us to 
finally like him. Why do we care about this man for two and a half hours? You have not proven to me that he's an interesting person to watch. And that's another thing of just like, you chose the wrong person. Why is this Mac and Mabel and not just Mabel? Mabel. <laughs> well, because at the very least, she's got a career arc. You know, she goes from, you know, yes. undiscovered to movie star and then whatever. If and it's he's gonna like a successful director who's a bit of a dick. And I guess these men in the 70s were like, well, that's relatable. Yeah. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. There is a line from the article that I was reading in Second Act Trouble that Robert Preston says that I went, oh boy, that is, <laughs> we are all on the wrong track here. Okay, where is it? Where is it? Where is the goddamn line? Because I Tell just me went- it's like, isn't it nice to play a man who like- <laughs> don't you don't you just love playing a man robert preston isn't it the best no so in the article they're talking about the show and they're talking about you know uh the history of max senate and mabel normand and their relationship blah 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 i was saying you know they show makes mac got to be a tyrant who basically taught mabel everything she knew not acknowledging all the things that mabel did on her own um focuses on the love story but it also never develops it is underbaked what Robert Preston says about Max Sennett in regards to his relationship about Mabel in this article is he must have given her a black eye once or twice in a lifetime, but he really adored her. No. <laughs> You're not going to say that. <laughs> I literally wrote in capital letters, oof, O-O-F, period. Good Bobby, Lord. Bobby Prest. No, that is not the flex that you think it is, sweetheart. No. And on he top of that, adored her. but he, but he really adored her. I'd have given her a black eye once twice, but he really adored her. That is okay. And everyone who's listening to this podcast, you know that I love Carousel. Listen, Carousel is not telling you Billy beats Julie, but he really loves her. It's Billy is a mess of a person yeah. and their love is only good in the sense that it's the only joy either of them get, but it's toxic. Mac and Mabel does not have that acknowledgement. Mac, Mac and Mabel, it's like, sure, he's a dick, but he's brilliant. And, you know, he loved her in, her, in his way. It's like, no. You know how? No roses. No, no roses, but a black eye once or twice. Like, no. This is, that's romanticizing domestic violence right there. That is what that is. Ugh. Ugh, Kimberly. What an insane thing to say. What an insane thing to say. In print, mind you. In print, what? Yes. In print. Listen, he wanted to make the world laugh, and that made me laugh. <laughs> I went, I can't believe you said that out loud. That was a thought that you had that you said to a person, and that person wrote down. Because that person probably was like, yeah. Yeah. I'm also looking back. I don't know if, I can't remember if they quoted Bernadette at all in that article. They might have. They, they, they quoted her about, like, her journey into getting cast in the show, but I don't know if they ever quoted her again in terms of, like, her thoughts on the story. Well, I would have liked to have seen a woman her thoughts on a, a man's yeah. tale. Why? Because it's not about Mabel. It's about my. It's throw my notes up in the air. I'm I, I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's just this show keeps on having a life in the same way that all of the, most of the other shows in the series are going to have lives because of the cast album. It's why yeah. high school students because are doing of the cast album because like older male actors who are not the best singers anymore, but like feel a lot of affinity towards a successful man are like, I could do Mac and bring some heart to it. 
I don't want to just be exclusive to men because as we get on with this series and we get into the 90s and 2000s, women are just as big a culprit. Well, but in regards to this true, show. because the songs are good. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in regards, regards to, to this, this show, show, that's what's happening. Absolutely. But I don't, even I'm sure, like, Mabel's songs are good. So, like, if you played, like, if you played an actress, the all, her three songs, like the three tops. Yeah. She'd go, yeah, I'll do that show. That sounds fun. Yeah. Mabel is the better part for sure. And yes, she has yes. the best songs in the show. Yeah. It's but then you like do the show and you get to that damn book and you go, like, why are we here? Yeah. If ever there was a doormat of a character, it is Mabel. She's a doormat in this show. And it pisses me the fuck off because those songs are not the songs of a doormat. Those songs Wherever are the songs. Wherever he ain't is the song of a strong lady. Yep. Of like, I'm getting out of here wherever he ain't. And then literally 20 minutes later after an intermission, Mabel walks in the room. Mm-hmm. She literally begins wherever he ain't saying like, Nenny of a puppet was there the second that he called. All he had to do is shout, hey, Mabel, guess what happens in act two? He goes, hey, hey Mabel. Mabel. So true. Like they're just like cutting every character development piece mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. I talked about this in the Pal Joey episode, but like it is frustrating to read the original libretto of Pal Joey and have characters like Vera and that very unnecessary character Melba, the reporter, come on, who are strong, smart, independent women who know their minds and in the case of Vera, like knows her weaknesses as well, but is able to sort of act on their own volition. And then to have in the same show wet blanket character Linda English who believes everything at face value who is dickmatized by Joey without ever actually seeing said dick Gladys Bumps who starts off being a fun independent woman with her own mind and then becomes a dumb blonde in act two I'm like how can this be the same writer how can you have this much insight into these two female characters and then totally drop the ball into the ocean in act two with these other characters what is going on here how can Jerry Herman write wherever he ain't and then come right back around with when Mabel comes in the room yeah. And that is, again, why the score and the book should be entwined, because it should have been the book writer who said, this is not the character you wrote. Mm-hmm. We but- need a song that justifies why Mabel would come back, not just because everyone loves her, but what brings what makes Mabel yeah. say yes after five years. If an ensemble is singing when Mabel walks in the room because here she's back and hooray, we also need to hear from Mabel herself. Because mm-hmm. guess what happens? In the room? Guess what happens, Kimberly, at the top of Act 2 when uh, Mabel comes back? Guess who we don't see when that decision is made? Mabel. Mabel. Yeah. Act 2 begins and we get like a video clip of Mabel in a movie where Mac is like, she's terrible in this. And then everyone's like, bring Mabel back. And then she comes back. We never get to see the moment where Mabel gets to say, I'll come back. Like that should be the whole second act. Yeah. Yeah. It's him convincing her to come back. And like, maybe there's still some love there. And like, he sings when Mabel walks in the room of trying to woo her. Like, mm-hmm. oh God. I mean, it's instead, <sighs> just things happen to a woman off stage, and then maybe we hear about them. Yeah. We all know what really happened. She turned 25 and we went, put her off stage. She, her decisions don't matter. Clearly, she'll come back. She's elderly. Yeah. She literally gets. Angel Dust thrown down her throat on stage right before Time Heals Everything by Taylor himself. And listen, y'all, for anyone who is trying to come at me and go, well, in real life, 
Mabel did leave and they, she did come back toward, towards the end before her career ended. And like, if we're going to go by that logic, then Taylor shouldn't be throwing angel dust down her throat. Mabel got addicted to that all on her own. In fact, Taylor was going, was trying to get her off of it. Everyone was like, this is ruining your career. Everyone. Um, if we're going by that logic, then um, if we're going by that logic, Mabel and Mac need to be closer in age. If we're going by that logic, we need to watch Mabel form her own studio. Like the, the flying. Okay. If there's a tagline for each of these shows for underestimated. Yeah. How Joey is. Was once sexy, gets less sexy by the decade. Candide. The score is champagne. The score, the book is lead. Mac and Mabel, what the flying fuck? Just that's all I have to say about Mac and Mabel. What the actual flying fuck? One of those shows, like I imagine myself like sitting and watching it, like the songs happening, and be like, "This is fun," and then uh, like a scene would begin, and I'd go, "No, oh no." Mm-hmm. So- <laughs> like it's the show that you sit through, like arm in arm with your friend who you're there with, so you can like squeeze mm-hmm. like, each other's arms when bad things are happening. Oh, Paradise Square, sure. So. I still haven't seen it yet. You know, okay. once again, racism is bad in a musical. That's the point. <laughs> if you didn't know. Yeah, that's what. When do you remember when Amazing? Do you remember when Amazing Grace was on Broadway for the hot second? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the best yes I've ever heard. When that show was on Broadway, which was also like just absolute garbage, the few fans that it has, they're they're defense was you can't deny that the message is important to which i said the message of the show is that slavery is bad of course that's important but like the show is garbage we all agree on that and have for many years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. centuries some might say yeah it's uh, oh god and yet we have shows like jekyll and hyde where everyone's like i mean but is murder bad (laughs) it's like yes murdering women is not great maybe murder fewer women Jekyll but they let the women sing and sing very high for no reason half their songs are about men uh actually I would I would argue 90% of their songs are about men closer to 100 one might say I mean Uh, depending on the version you're doing either Lucy's singing good and evil or she's singing bring on the men and if she's singing bring on the men then yes 100% of it's about men Yep. Uh, uh, some shows like Candide bring you pussy popping because the women get to be ferocious singers. Other shows like Jacqueline Hyde are pussy popping because the women are just always sitting on it. That is what they're <laughs> meant to do. That is their purpose. They're here. If they're not dying, they're singing very high while sitting on penis. The man who is killing them. Yes. Listen, Kimberly, if ever I were to be the leading lady of a show, I want to die in said show. And I want it to be at the hand of the man that I'm singing about, but I need at least three power ballads before it happens. I mean, it's everyone's dream. Yeah. Listen, for anyone calling funny girl sexist, at least Nikki Arnstein doesn't kill her in the end. That's true. (laughs) That's up there with Amazing Grace is saying that slavery is bad. So it's a good show. (laughs) Listen, he doesn't murder her. So he might have given her a few black eyes, but he really adored her. <laughs> like my new face. He gave her a few black eyes, but he really adored her. He really adored her. No. <laughs> <laughs> then, then Robert Preston goes. At least he didn't kill her. 
Yeah. Well, did he? <laughs> well, did he kill her though? Who gave her that final dosage of heroin? Could have been who Mac. Gave her the first dose is that who did it? Like, <laughs> who? Yes. Who introduced Mabel to heroin or cocaine? Possibly Mac. Oh my God, musicals dealing with drug addictions could be its own series of like just musicalized scenes of like the first drug. It's or like just when like like you could get Dream Girls in there, taboo. Like it's honestly just a series of me rolling my eyes throughout all of Jagged Little Pill. But yeah, no, I know. I oh no, my no. eyes are rolling with yours. <laughs> yes, yes, it's. I was once asked my thoughts on Jack a little pill. And I said, you don't want to hear them because they are no. vicious. When, when all my the thoughts controversy- on that show are for private to private mm-hmm. conversation. Well, so like when the Tonys, when the fake Tonys were happening, uh, people were like, what are you like? What are your thoughts on the controversy with, you know, Lauren Patton, all this stuff. I was like, listen, I wish we were talking more about how that show just sucks. Like, I wish that's what we were complaining about and not the politics about the other stuff. Uh, but you know what? If this is what it right. takes to get people pissed at this show, fine. I'm just happy I we're know. all now pissed at it. There were all it. these, like, TikToks of people being like, and everyone should, like, don't go see Jack Little Hill, blah, 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 blah. And I just so badly wanted to duet all of them and be like, don't see this show because it's bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I concur with the first half of your sentence. Don't yeah. see it. Don't see it. And if this is what it takes for us not to see it, sure, fine, whatever. It, it's closed now. So we're basically just kicking a dead horse while it's on the ground. Going on tour. Oh, I is think. it? I think. Well, America needs to be punished. So there we go. Landis needs more money. So it's going on tour. <laughs> Listen, does she not get residuals for when she kissed Sarah Jessica Parker on Sex in the City? She should. Oh, God, right. Yeah. That's one of the worst episodes of Sex and City, just because the anti- the sexual views are so antiquated that it's actually hard to watch. But that kiss is iconic. Anyway, antiquated then, like, yeah, yeah it, it was, it yeah, it was antiquated then, and more so now. Only Samantha is progressive. She says it's great. He has no labels. He's explorative. He doesn't define himself by anything. I'm like, that is beautiful. The rest of that episode is bad. Anywho, bad, 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 bad. Uh, we said over under or estimated. We said the missing link. The missing link is the romance isn't there. Uh, other link is just needs to get totally rewritten. The missing link is a conversation between Jerry Herman and the book writer. Yeah. Or Jerry Herman and anyone being like, I know you love these songs, Jerry, but snip, snip. Uh, there are just some shows where you watch them and you're just like, no one told XYZ no. Like no one, no one told this person this wasn't good. Like, oh, yeah. I'm watching this whole show. Oh, everyone involved in this are friends, huh? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Everyone Absolutely. who wrote this loves each other. Okay, great. Yeah, or or everyone just had such or egos. Close enough friends. <laughs> yeah, no one was being brutally honest with each other. Last question: yes. Castaway. Who would you like to see in this show? Ooh. Interesting. Which character do I say? Both. Well, Jerry Orbach, but obviously that's not happening anymore. Yeah. What could have been? I will say. Uh, when casting Mac, you have to ask yourself, who could I watch being a dick? And I'd still watch them. And I will raise you who I think to be a modern day Jerry Orbach, Zachary Levi. <laughs> you know what? I would not call him a modern day Jerry Orbach. However, you know. <laughs> that, uh, but however, 
I would see his Mac. I thought he, he was, was like so the vibe. He I was loved very him and delightful. She loves me, and that's like the Jerry Orbach vibe. Yeah, I'm going for Jerry Orbach would have been a wonderful George and she loves me back in the day. Why didn't that ever happen? Right. Oh, God, he would have been perfect. He would have been perfect. Uh, but he wasn't being cast as funny roles at the time. That happened with Promises, Promises. Also, Promises, Promises. You know how Jerry Orbach sold a whole number alone on stage? And then in the revival, Rob Ashford was like, hey, let's add the entire ensemble and have them do push-ups. I didn't see the revival. <laughs> oh my God, of course, though. That revival was garbage. Yeah, no, uh, Zachary Levi, I will take that as Mac. I think he actually would make a really good Mac. And weirdly, it's because like he's tall, he's handsome. Anyone you could believe might have chemistry with him. Mm-hmm. That is also that is very much the vibe of uh, gay men. Is uh, is he hot or is he tall? Oh, he- absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> my vibe as well. <laughs> is yeah, he hot or is he tall? And he's tall, and he's got a great low speaking voice. <laughs> that he does, and I I could buy that his passion for making movies could be dickish but you but you would still connect to the passion does that make sense because he does have like a winning smile like if yeah. he yeah like in i want to make the world laugh i feel like he could be funny i think like so i too. feel like he could do a like make them laugh style i want to make the world laugh yeah who's 13 years younger than zachary levi well if we're going by by now casting who's 35 years younger than zachary levi <laughs> i know Zachary Adam Levi and Rachel Zegler. That is our Mac and Maple, y'all. Oh my goodness. Especially with how Probably tall he is and how short it. she is. Um, who do I want to hear sing that? Mm-hmm. Question of the day now, ain't it? Are you frozen? Am I frozen? No. I'm okay. I'm just deep in. I think I froze for a minute there. Okay. Yeah, you were actually frozen for a minute. But, oh, no. Um, who, yeah, now you're back. I don't know. I'm at such a loss for Mabel because it's such a, because I want to hear her sing all the things, but I also want her to bring, you know, mm-hmm. a character. Mm-hmm. Be a person. Be a you, person. You need like a bit of a weirdo too in the way that Bernie is. And we don't have a lot no. of young weirdos these days. No, and I'm almost like, if Leslie Margarita was young, like in her twenties. Ooh, you like, know who I want, and she's famous enough now because that she would get it. Uh, she would get it. Uh, Stephanie Shu from uh, SpongeBob actually, slash yeah. Be More Chill, and now you know, star of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Great voice, yeah, let's great just comedian. Bring everyone from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel into Mac and Mabel. That's right, Zachary Levi was on Maisel, one hundred percent. Yeah, and, and she is uh, now too. Actually, she'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be phenomenal. I would, I would be so down for her and then everyone else can just be anyone else because no one else matters in that show. I don't even remember any of the other names. <gasps> Lobby. Like when, got, when I was watching the Encores production and I was like, Ben Fankhauser, what character is that? <laughs> he was, oh, he was the dude who became the writer, I guess. And I was like, Mabel, he don't you know you're an actress? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Honestly, Ben again. <laughs> Uh, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Alex Borstein. Every you, we're, we're talking about Maisel, so Alex Borstein is going to play that part. Absolutely, she's Mac. Oh, Alex, actually, Alex Borstein. Alex Borstein, Borstein Mac. Mac. <laughs> Love it. Love to see it. Oh, God. Mabel, and then it's a time. 
guys, we're we're fix we are fixing Mac and Mabel in real time. We are rewriting the book, rewriting the score, getting Zachary Levi and Stephanie Shu properly. <laughs> we're we're gonna bring Mac and Mabel back in 2023. And here's the thing: it's not gonna be anything like Mac and Mabel. No, everyone's gonna be like, "Wow, what a what a stripped down production." That's, that's I think the that's, thing I say about everything that's a little that needs a lot of fixing. Absolutely. Strip it down, put it in circling the square, and something will know and something will happen. <laughs> yeah. With a harpsichord orchestra. I mean, yeah. I I just think that's the ultimate trolling is to like still call the show Mac and Mabel and have maybe like two songs from the original score and everything else is rewritten and but not tell anyone. Weirder things to musicals. Yeah. Not tell anyone though. It's so, like have everyone show up and they're like, wait a and second. And do the overture. It's the same overture with all the songs that are not in the show. (laughs) Wait, it's Mac and Mabel on ice. (laughs) So the overture, you get the full program. Absolutely. We got to get And then we just like skinking out of stage, like onto the. (laughs) Okay, we're awake now. It's a stadium tour. We did it. Okay. Yeah, we get it. We 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 figured it out. We fixed That's it. it in the round in a stadium. <laughs> we, we, fixed, oh, nice. we fixed Mac and Mabel. We um, I think this is a good time as I need to call it a day. Kimberly, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me early on a Mother's Day morning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is Mother's Day. Oh, God, you're such a Everyone. hero for doing it this early, for indulging me. You're wonderful. No, um, Kimberly, if, people, if you want people to find you, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Kimber Coops. You can find me on other podcasts, ones that I host at Broadwasted and Broadway Baby. And speaking of a thing you love as well, you can find my new baking show on Twitch, Kitchen at Best Friends, with my friend Amanda. Hello. Uh, if you want to follow me anywhere on social media, it is Matt Koplik on Instagram. Usual spelling, nothing else. I had TikTok for five seconds and promptly deleted it. I don't really post anything there, but you can follow me if you want. <laughs> yeah, most people I know have it and don't post anything. I like, I had yeah. it and then I was like, I don't, I don't enjoy any of this. I, I, yeah. Um, stay tuned for next week when we cover the Stephen Schwartz review, Working, where Patti Lapone was in it, but didn't have a song, if you can believe. Oh my God, it's the way you're right. Yeah, she didn't have a song. Is that it's one of my favorite jokes in her one woman show back in the 90s. She was like, then I did working, but I was the only person who didn't have a song, so we can move right past working. Uh, she played the call girl who had a monologue. If you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, give us a nice five-star rating, give us a little review review. Algorithm is real and we love to see it. And I also just I get a nice little kick when someone writes something nice about it. So write something nice about it. I really like it. It makes my day. Uh, and yeah, check us back next week for working. And that's it. We close out every week with a diva. Uh, we've already done Bernadette Peters, obviously. Uh, and I believe we've done Caroline O'Connor. Have we? Maybe not. Either Car- have we done Caroline O'Connor or Christiane Knoll? Um, we haven't done either. So I think we're going to close out with Christiane Knoll today because there are probably more recordings of her singing than of Caroline O'Connor. Probably. Probably. Uh, yeah, so that'll be it. Thank you so much for being here, Kim. And I'll see you guys next week. This is a really lame ending. Thank you. Uh, Listen to Christiane. Let's move it on to Christiane. Please, Christiane speaking of Jacqueline Hyde and the, and the all yes. males singing Always About Men. <laughs> Thank you. Take, take us away, Christiane, before I talk Come anymore. Comes back around. <laughs> Bye.
and my stars and my ocean. We can never go back to before. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.